and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 305 and my conversation with Professor of Percussion and Theory at Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville, along with composer, performer, and podcaster, Caleb Pickering. We'll get to him shortly. But first up, it's over. It's all over. I'm, I'm referring to summer. Because when you listen to this, we will be in full band camp mode with Marching Mizzou. Meetings are happening, student leadership is back, and new and returning students are starting to move back to the community. It's all on. Yay! I do look forward to getting to work with this crew and to get ready for what will be a very active and busy semester. Being out in the direct sunlight of August, summer heat. Okay, that part, not so much. But let's get to today's guest, Caleb Pickering. Caleb and I have met at some point over the years. I'm not really sure when, but it's very exciting to have him in the state of Missouri performing all the duties he is doing. I was first aware of him both as a composer through C. Allen Publications and hearing his works there, along with his work as a student and fellow colleague of previous podcast guest Casey Cangelosi. I've also been aware of him through his work as a podcaster, first through his own show, Tacit Thoughts, which he put out in the late 2010s, and his current work as a guest, guest host, and now regular host on the At Percussion podcast. Caleb's been active as a performer and composer for many years now. He's been writing and publishing his own work and keeping up with his teaching career at the same time. He's very active as an adjudicator and is very active playing video games. His career has taken him from Texas to Las Vegas to Virginia and now Missouri. There's a lot there and we'll get to all of it and more in this interview. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on August 1st, 2022, and it begins right now. All right, so Caleb, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities and activities at this point. They, they kind of split into two halves, uh, maybe three, you know, playing, teaching, writing, but uh, right now, the the writing and playing have kind of become a little intertwined, and now they're well. They became intertwined. Now they're starting to spread back out into two separate uh, categories. But right now, teaching wise, I'm at Northwest Missouri State University, so just um, well, I think we're about three and a half hours from you, um, uh, northwest of y'all. Uh, so at Northwest, I'm basically the percussion person. So I do all the lessons. Um, I do the percussion ensemble, the methods classes every other year. This year, I'm helping out with the drum line just because, you know, it's I, I don't want them out there playing dirty beats. So I'm, I'm helping out some, but um, just a little bit. That's not part of my, you know, houred responsibilities. Uh, and then besides that, I also run the theory area. Um, so I do all the uh, advanced theory and oral skills and and kind of direct the rest of the people doing fundamentals and earlier classes. Um, and then writing wise, yeah, um, you know, I've been writing percussion music for a long time. Uh, that's become a huge part of 
my career, you know, both time wise and, you know, financially and, uh, you know, where my passions lie. Um, and this summer I've, I've started to break, trying to break into more of, uh, I'll call it real composer world. Um, <laughs> so writing things for not just percussion. Um, and that's one of my goals coming up this semester is I'm working on a piece for wind band. So trying to, yeah, trying to expand, um, now that I have, uh, a little more flexible schedule busy, but you know how it is with, you know, teaching full time, there's the hours on the books and you schedule your lessons. And since I'm not responsible for as much drumline stuff, I can, uh, I can wiggle around a couple more blocks of free time. So it's nice. And your co-hosting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other percussion podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm also a co-host um, on the app percussion podcast. I am the uh, most recently, I'm the freshest to the group. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, right now it's Carly, Cassinia, Ben Charles and I. And then Casey's involved as well, too. Sometimes I think people think he's like gone, but no, he's very much there he's just kind of behind the scenes we actually had a meeting this morning to discuss uh we're starting back up in september so um getting back to it nice well all right well, let's start with uh northwest so is this year two the start of year two yeah okay so tell me about getting the position and what the situation was that you walked into um, in terms of how percussion was being covered and, and all that. Yeah, I, I got the gig just like just like I think most of us do. There wasn't anything too peculiar. I think the um, the weirdest part that kind of gave me a strong upper hand was the position was half. Well, not half. It was percussion and theory. And there are a lot of, you know, a lot of us are good at theory, but that was one of my that's one of my specialties. So. Uh, it was a real good fit. So getting the gig there was, you know, that was great. Uh, won the position. It was kind of a, not a last minute hire. I was hired in, you know, uh, I think I did my interview in early June. Um, there was a late loss of a faculty member, not, not died, just, you know, left the place. But I got the gig there and it was funny. Yeah, we had to cram it all into one day. So I interviewed uh, started at like 8 a.m. And then they offered me the gig like at 9 a.m. the next morning. I was like, yeah, sure. That was easy. Thought it was <laughs> take longer than that. Uh, but yeah, walking in here, it's um, no no one's really done. Well, I won't speak to my, my predecessors uh, immediately, but, you know, here they haven't had a full-time percussion person. So it's been kind of a, a rotating door of adjuncts. Um, or our recently stepped down department head. She is also a percussionist. She taught for a while. Um, Katie Strickland, she's fantastic, but um, you know, her she's a music ed person, so that was where most of her duties lied. So um, you know, they they just kind of the luck of the draw. They they just couldn't have a full-time percussion person. But when they had a uh theorist slash pianist retire, they had then two piano teachers, uh, three piano teachers, and they didn't have enough students to really fill that many loads. So they were like, hey, this is a good time. We can get full-time percussion and replace this theory position. And uh, yeah, just kind of right place, right time. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, inheriting the, the gig here, it's just, 
I mean, you know how it is. We've all done adjunct work. You know, you want to do your best, but you know, when you're piecing together gigs, it's sometimes hard to, you know, really craft a program. I mean, June, I think is a pretty late, I would consider that on the, I mean, it's not as late as like early August, we'll say, but it does mean that because you were at JMU teaching adjunct, right? Prior. Yeah. Yeah. As an adjunct there for two years. So, I mean, that means that you have, I, I'm going to assume that you were leaving things, even though they were adjunct, but you had kind of planned mm-hmm. to teach there, right? Like yeah, in, yeah. In, that next year. Yeah. Um, I was planning on it. They had to do a last minute, pretty, pretty quick search, but um, uh, Aaron Trumbor from Artifact, uh, he took over my position and um, of course he's great. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, the other thing to note, obviously, is that this was still pretty, I mean, I think we're still in the pandemic, but you're still like kind of trying to create a normal. So what was it like being there when everything's still seemingly in flux? Yeah, right. Um, we, I mean, we did like everybody else, you know, we had the masks and distance policies and, you know, stuff like that. Students were quarantined. Uh, we were kind of lucky here at Northwest. We're, we're kind of like my undergrad town of Commerce, Texas, where it's a small town with some distance around it. And most of the students on campus live on campus or they live in the town. So we're kind of a satellite. So the pandemic didn't really hit us that hard. We'd have students drop out every now and then. But for the most part, once things kind of settled down, it, it was okay because we didn't have a lot of students coming and going. We were kind of our own little quarantined uh, campus. So kind of worked out well for us. And then we were pretty much normal starting last January. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a crazy time. <laughs> when you start there, what do you, what's kind of assess the, both the, the studio situation as well as the resources and um, items there that you're walking into. Funny enough, we're in a very good uh, financial position here. Um, they, they went through some, some heavy cuts like a decade and a half ago, uh, which means, you know, during COVID, we, we were totally, <laughs> we were good. We didn't have to do a whole lot. And we have good support from donors. We have a lot of donors from the school and alumni. So, I mean, I was able to walk in and I was expecting kind of like, you know, the pearl export snare drum with a head that has no coating left on it situation. Sure. But I walked in and it's like, hey, we have some pearl fills. And my my first week of being hired, I got to buy a new set of timpani um, that were already pre-approved. So I, I wasn't responsible for that, but we've got three five octaves and um, I bought a Brazilian ensemble this year and uh, I, f- I was able to find some extra money to buy through a partnership with Sabian. We got all new marching symbols and some concert symbols. And in terms of instrument wise, it's it's been great. Um, we've really made it work. Uh, studio wise, it's uh, I, I think like maybe many of us I knew I couldn't come in with the the wrecking ball the first year because I didn't want to totally turn everyone against me. So played it a little safe for a year. Um, you know, wasn't quite the hard ass that I wanted to be. I kind of kept it a little, <laughs> a little soft. Uh, yeah. Felt my way in. I didn't want to, 
blow the whole joint up and have a, a mutiny. Um, but yeah, we, uh, yeah, we slowly amped it up a little bit and then we had a little pow, uh, sorry, we had a little talk, uh, at the end of the, uh, semester about what next year is going to look like. And everyone's kind of on board because we got to play some, uh, some cool percussion ensemble music and stuff like that. So everyone's, the culture is kind of starting to shift a little, so that's good. Tell me a little bit more about the school. First, the the music school portion, and then also the school and the town. You, you talked a little bit about the town, but the school of music. Uh, well, we're a department of fine arts, so we're we share a building with art, theater, and music. Um, it's a small. I I don't remember the number, but it's a small music area. Um, my studio's about. Uh, uh, about about 10 right now um so not too bad so, some of those are non-majors that just want to play um so it's a little small um the school of music you know has same issues any small music program has you know we uh we get people from programs that have you know 30 kids in the band or whatever from high school and some of our music theory one is more focused on like making sure you know, literacy and, and stuff like that. And then 32 is a little more accelerated. It's uh freshman year looks a little rough sometimes, but normally after the first year, they're kind of caught up to where, where a sophomore should be. Um, even if they're still, you know, catching up a little bit playing wise. And then the school itself is, uh, it's pretty nice. Um, it's a small town. So, you know, that has its pros and cons and some other cons and some other pros. Um, it's nice that it's like a two and a half minute commute from my house to the school. So that's great. Um, if I want to have lunch, I can just run home. I don't have to worry about using a microwave that's like covered in like 15 different smells or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, the cons with the small town, it's, you know, it's like, hey, do you want to go to the restaurant or the other restaurant? Just like, well, we went to that restaurant yesterday i guess uh i guess we'll go to the other one today um so <laughs> that's not always the most fun but i mean as you know kansas city's an hour away and yeah if you have to get out there is um i i don't mind um, i'm kind of up here by myself right now my girlfriend goes to unt she's doing a master's in economics there um so she comes up um every now and then more often than not since it's didn't i use that as a I visit her and get into some civilization again. <laughs> yeah. um, so I try to go down there once a month and mm-hmm. uh, hang out at UNT and Ditton a little bit and get my fill of of livelihood and then come back. And it's like a nice little mini vacation every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> I was like an hour. I was like probably an hour and a half. I was thinking is where you were from Kansas City. So hours. Yeah. That's even better. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah, it's about an hour 20. Yeah. Okay. Because it's an hour, like how far is it to the airport? Uh, about an hour, uh, hour 10, hour 15-ish. Okay. Some, sometimes an hour when I drive, go a little quick. Of course. Yeah. That's one of the things that's kind of the joke here in Columbia is that almost nobody flies from Columbia. Like first, the Columbia airport's getting better, but almost nobody flies out of KC because the airport is so far – is. On yeah. the other side of Kansas. Yeah, right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the St. Louis airport's like an hour 45 and it's on. It's 
on the west part. So you don't you don't have to go to keep you don't have to go to St. Louis. You're you're on the outskirts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit more about the the marching band portion. I did a just a day or two of the camp, uh, the drumline camp last summer. Um, it overlapped with my new faculty orientation, um, which I I thought I would rather be doing that than standing in the heat, but I was totally wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Orientation for sure. Um, but no, it's uh, the marching band's pretty good. Um, they're a hundred. They're they're always between about a hundred twenty and a hundred ninety. I know that's a big. Wow, number to to shift around, but with COVID, it really dropped down. And then this year, I think they have about a hundred and forty, forty-five. So, good size for a, a smaller school. Um, and you know, the drumline we we don't have a front ensemble right now. We're kind of working on that just because you know students that want to do that need to be able to do that or at least something. Um, but yeah, I'll help out this year. I, I rewrote all the exercises and some of the cadences and stuff like that just to make it. I mean, they were just using stuff that had been around for years and years and years. And it's just like, oh, man, we just got to we got to get some beats in y'all's hands that sound good. And they're going to be a little easier to execute because, yeah, some of some of the stuff is just like, yeah, it's hard or or coming out of coming into roles out of silence and stuff like that that. We can we can just alter a little bit to make y'all sound cleaner because, I mean, even though the schools, you know, in Missouri are often a little smaller, it's just like you can still you hear a dirty drum line and it's like, ah, I don't want to go there. Um, I want to I want to play in a good group. So I mean, and they play they play great. Not to say they play bad. They just, um, you know, they need some uh, some polishing up. Sure. Yeah. The, that school is Division Two, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny enough, we're a diff to football and basketball powerhouse. Yes, you are. I know for basketball, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, our athletic bands director, Katie, well, she's the athletic band director. She was department head, and she's a music ed teacher. Um, So now, thankfully, she's out of the department head, so she just has to do her normal job. Um, Yeah, her athletic band season starts august 1 and then ends like may 1 like she cuz i mean they'll go through all the football playoffs and then they'll go through the final or all the march man march madness the whatever the basketball one i don't watch yeah. basketball they'll go through basketball and then she starts planning the next year's marching band show and yeah she's like i never stop doing athletic bands and it's insane um, especially for a school this size, we she should, yeah, she should be done in November and done in February. Right, the size of school we are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was uh when I when I was teaching at Lincoln. That was we we had a there was a year where, where one of the years that you all won the national championship. We were probably the best. I think we we only lost to you by like five twice <laughs> yeah that, that was close like that was like a really good team for us and yeah, you guys our, still had, you had like the point guard who was the best point guard in the country and it's crazy it, yeah it's really bizarre our football team um this year three people were drafted to the nfl and one was drafted to the cfl the canadian football league i'm just like 
even for a Div 1 school, four drafts yeah. like, to professional football teams, that's insane. Yeah. Um, but good for them. I mean, they're doing something right. <laughs> so because of where you're located in the state, where – and I know that you're still new to this, but where is the typical – geographically where is the typical student coming from oh good job uh, or good question not good job um good job with a good question Thank uh you. a lot of ours is the immediate surrounding area so within you know 60 miles um and a lot of the four states area so we have a lot of iowa kids a fair amount of nebraska um and then a lot from here of course and uh, kansas as well uh, but yeah, we have basically Kansas, we have them from all over, but our kind of hard border is Kansas City. We get a lot of students from there um, and then a ton from the smaller schools between here and Kansas City um, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Do you like living there? It's okay. You know, like I was saying, it's, um, you know, it's a small town. It's it's fine. Um, I don't really have anything tying me down, which is nice. Um, uh, and I have stuff to do here. Like, uh, I write a bunch, which is great. You know, that helps. Uh, got a PlayStation five that helps got this new sweet uh, PC. I say it's for video editing and composition, which it is, but it has its other uses. Um, <laughs> like the video game usage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it turns out maybe I did spend a little extra on that GTX 3060 graphics card or, uh, <laughs> or maybe some video gaming. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's I keep myself busy wherever I am just with stuff I enjoy. So, um, you know, it'd be great to live in a, you know, like a place like Ditton where there's know more bars and restaurants and a nightlife and clubs and stuff like that to go see live music in but um you know for now it's fine uh i don't think i want to buy a gravestone here or anything but sure you know for uh for now it's uh works for me yeah great it's it's funny it's and i thought about this that it does sound like concord where casey used to case and i used to yeah too Um, oh i didn't know that yeah yeah i was i was um Oh three to 2003 to 2006. I was when mm-hmm. I was at Concord, and then my friend John had taught there in the interim before Casey got it. Um, but that place was very similar because it was Division two, small town, like one restaurant in the town, and uh, Blacksburg and Christiansburg were an hour away. Right, um, and so like, and Winston Salem was two, and so it's like we it was kind of the same thing where if we needed to go, my wife and I needed to go to like a Target. Or Barnes Noble, which we did, we would go to Christiansburg, and like that would be our, our outing, which I'm sure it is for you when you go to KC. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's my, it's my day out. <laughs> yeah, we luckily there's a town called St. Joseph. Oh yeah, is, yeah, right. It's about 45 minutes away. So if I ever, um, like last winter, um, I was thinking I was, you know, it's one of those things you buy your house stuff and then you're like oh it's fine and then i was just like man i should really replace some and i went i was just like oh i'll just go to bed bath and beyond and so i drove 45 minutes and bought like a down comforter and some other things and i was like okay this isn't so bad because that was like right when i was like oh man this is a small town (laughs) um but then i was like oh there's a short drive that's no big deal yeah (laughs) that's a good point 
Awesome. All right. Well, let's get to your composition. So at what point did that portion of your creativity, creative existence begin? Yes. Yeah, good question. Um, I, th- I think the really early stuff was kind of like, I think what a lot of us do where we're writing, you know, drumline cadences and stuff like that um, in high school and college. And then I went to sometime in undergrad, I went to the, I think it was the second So Percussion Institute they had. Um, and we got to do a lot of new music. I got really into that. And then that kind of made me start thinking about writing some. I didn't do much in undergrad. I wrote like one percussion ensemble that, that's not very good. Um, it's, it doesn't exist. No one can find it. Um, yeah, I think I'm the only one that has a copy. Yeah. Uh, but then in my master's, uh, at sometime in my first year, I was playing uh, some more technical pieces. And we had played that first piece for percussion ensemble that wasn't very good. And, you know, we played it on a concert or something. And one of the DMA students was like, oh, that's good. Hey, that piece was all right. And you you uh, you play well on marimba. So why, you should like write a marimba solo or something. So I wrote my first two mallet piece, Drift, which is uh, with C. Allen. And then that went well. Um, and then that summer, um, I guess it was like early May, um, I kept having like stomach issues, um, like pain for a few days. I was like, man, my stomach hurts. And it was like, man, my stomach really hurts. And like an idiot, you know, 20, whatever, 24, 23 year old. I was just like, man, you no, know, three or four days goes by. and just like. I really can't walk anymore. And just like, I'll probably, I'll probably just Skype into class today. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it turns out I, I, my appendix ruptured like a day ago. So I went, <laughs> uh, I went and got an appendectomy at the hospital and, um, you know, that's not good when it blows up inside of you, then they have to take it out. So that turned into like a multi-week stay. And, um, when I got out, they were like, yeah, you need a lot of bed rest for a while. So just, you know, stay at home, you know, make sure you walk around so you build some muscle back. Um, and when I was at home, uh, I didn't have anything to do at the time. I didn't have a TV. Um, I didn't have a PlayStation or anything yet either. Um, so I really just had my laptop. Uh, I had Sibelius and a keyboard. So I just started writing some ensemble stuff. Uh Two of my pieces, Dreadnought, which is a little more percussion orchestra-y, orchestra-y and this tune, Post Sunrise, which is kind of like a uh, just a jam, little mellow beats jam. Uh, and I wrote those two, and Nathan Daughtry at C. Allen picked them up. Uh, and then, yeah, just kind of took off from there, and I just kept writing and learning about it. And, yeah, now it's kind of turned into a whole whole branch. Do you, do you self-publish at this point? Yeah, I do. Uh, now, now, anyways, and it's it's like purely um, like a fiscal and control reasons. So, and I also just enjoy it. You can kind of see behind me. There's what, what what size? It man, it's hard to point in reverse. But yeah, I have like my. It's kind of a mess right now, but I have like my binding and oh yeah, stacks yeah. of paper and stuff back there. Um, I see a so, toy piano up there too. Oh, that's yeah, so yeah, that's a toy piano. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I enjoy you know the physical stuff, binding all the music, and mm. you know it's kind of therapeutic to kind of sit there and manually do something. Um, and I just enjoy operating it and knowing where it goes, and you know dealing with 
Lone Star and Steve Weiss and stuff. And um, yeah, it's just kind of fun. You know, you you have to treat it like a business. So you get a little more serious about everything. And I think it, it's helped a lot. Uh, but I mean, I still I still love C. Allen and and Nathan and those guys. They're they're fantastic. And I definitely wouldn't be where I am without Nathan's help. He he's done a ton for me as far as getting music out and stuff. What kinds of things regarding kind of setting that up that the the self publishing portion did you have to figure out aside from the binding and and paper elements? Yeah, it's it's so easy now. I mean, I, I use Squarespace. Mm-hmm. I have the it's like the middle tier subscription, which is a website plus X amount. I, I don't know. It's like 500 gigs of store space. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's so easy. Now you go in there, you set up the product just like an item. You click, you make it, you drag and drop a link where you wherever you want it to be. And people click on it. They can click buy. You can set it up as a digital download. So, you know, they click buy and it just emails out to them or they can do a physical and you get a notification that so-and-so has bought this piece and this is their address and this is how many you said you had in stock. So now you have this many. That was the easy part. Um, And then uh, from there, I guess it was all not so bad. There's some things I had to figure out like, um, you know, dealing with supplier discounts and stuff. You know, because obviously if I sold a piece for, you know, $30, Lone Star is not going to buy it from me for $30 right. to then sell for $30 because right. that's, you know, no one, uh, they don't win in that situation at all. So they'll buy it from you and then you'll get like, what, 10 from it or something? like they'll, they'll give you a percentage or three or something like Right. Typically, the 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 retailers they'll get a. Uh, I said suppliers earlier. The retailers will get. Um, they'll buy it for a discount. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll I'll sell it to them for X percent off, and then they sell it, and then they keep the profit from that. Yeah. Um, so um, it it's, takes a lot of trust on their part. Um, you know, they're they're trusting that it will sell. So they only really, of course, they are they're only going to carry stuff that they think will that will move. So, yeah. you know, yeah, if, if something's, I'm just, this is all hypothetical, hypothetical numbers, but if I sell the piece for 30, then, you know, I'll give it, you know, you give it to them for, you know, 15, that that's kind of a lot off, but you give it to them for 15 and then you make $15. Uh, they make, they make the 30 and um, yeah, it's uh, no big deal. Yeah. They get, they get to an audience you can't quite get to. Right. Um, especially things like uh, schools sometimes are hard when the, when they need to set up a you know a PO, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's really hard for like us to buy a piece from just an individual composer. I have to go like through a different channel, and yeah. it's a whole mess. It's way easier for us to just buy from Steve Wise because we have a contract with them. Mm-hmm. So that is something that like C. Allen can do that I can't. Um, sure. I just don't have the the time or the ability to, or the interest in setting up, you know, hey, uh, uh, University of Texas wants to buy one piece from you. Mm-hmm. All right, we need to set you up with our uh, vendor. So contact this person, all right, do a contract. In 30 days, you'll get this. And it's just like, oh man, 
just have the piece for free at this point. This isn't worth the t- the headache. <laughs> just, yeah. just here, I'll, just I'll play. Pay, it. I'll pay my own ma- it's mailing cost and just just so yeah. I don't have to deal with just, it. Yeah, just live stream it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, just send me a program. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's another element of of this of the composing part is well, there's two. One is like something like a PASIC where if someone's like, Caleb, I want to buy your stuff. And you're like, maybe Lone Star brought it, brought it. Right. I mean, like, or Steve, maybe Steve Weiss brought it. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of how that happens. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's tough. Uh, with the digital download thing, the PDFs, I, a lot of people prefer that. Mm-hmm. I'm not super crazy about it, um, but it's kind of what people want and prefer. So I try to go that route. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Places like, you know, Steve Weiss and Lone Star, they can get to places I can't. I'm not going to buy a booth at Midwest. That's that's crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> but, and the, the, but the other part of that is is the um, trying to keep track of performances for ASCAP or BMI, whichever. Oh, yeah. I should do that more. I just, I so, yeah, I say the same thing. <laughs> it's just so much work. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's just real hard to actually keep track of. Because remind me now, what realms you've you've written for? You said you're trying to get into kind of like the the band, or start getting into maybe wind band style. But what other? What's kind of been the scope of what you've written so far? Uh, a lot of percussion stuff for sure. Um, a lot of stuff that's not out um I, either i just i haven't wanted to put it out or things like that i had a piece for marimba and flute and one for uh marimba percussion and horn um i just finished a piece this summer that that i'll probably sell once i get a recording but it's a uh a setting of a bukowski poem for a solo piano and voice mm-hmm. um that our faculty here is going to do um, and that's that's going really well. I'm really happy with that one. So yeah, stuff like that. And then some individual things. There was a, a cello thing I did a long time ago uh, in an orchestral setting of a, a Debussy piece. Uh, just stuff like that. But a lot of it I just don't want out there because I'm just not, you know, not happy with it. It's not up to the same level as the percussion stuff. So I'm just waiting until they get to that level and now they're kind of starting to. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it all comes out soon. <laughs> yeah. Now, how did you, you had been on at percussion. Were, were you there as a guest or had you been as a, just as a kind of a guest co-host prior to being kind of official? Yeah, both. Um, I did the guest co-host thing several times. I've, I've done it I mean, probably, I don't know, thir- maybe 30 times um, as the, kind of the guest co-host. Um, and then I was on as a guest guest once on episode 148. Uh, yeah, when Casey decided he wanted to kind of step back a little bit because he's just he's busy with work and life and everything else and uh, kind of take a backseat role or more of an administrative role. He did that, and I kind of filled his space. What's been similar, different with you being more regularly in the host chair? 
we do a thing now where the four of us, um, basically, instead of one person doing everything, we basically each are in, we rotate host and that host does pretty much everything for that episode. So if I host an episode, I'll um, set up, if there's a guest, I'll set up the guest. If we do like a, a round table panel, I'll set up that. If it's just a topic, I'll set up that. Um, and then I'll record, I'll edit. Um, I'll, we have a Google doc and some other things and I'll edit and chop up things and send them to the appropriate spots uh, and now the new thing we'll do is we'll all do our own social media stuff. So in the future, I'll do the Facebook posts and I'll upload the little Instagram things and ask if anyone has questions. So, uh, yeah, that, that's about the only big change. Ksenia has done, I think, the most in terms of like changing uh, kind of the face of it and the kind of logistical operations and the social media stuff. She's really took the reins in that because that's she's just good with that stuff yeah i remember that being a surprise and i I think this happened before you started being a a full-time co-host when when i think all of a sudden like carly started an episode and it was like oh yeah like because casey started all of them forever (laughs) basically (laughs) um and maybe he kind of realized that oh i should actually I should release some of these, these things and maybe it won't be as much stress for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as you know, it's to do it, to do it right. It's a lot of, it's a lot of time. Um, no, even the editing, you know, it, it, it's not a huge thing, but you know, you edit it and then you render it and then you change the format. If you have to, then you upload it, then you, it's just all these little steps that all are pretty easy, but, you put them all together and suddenly you've lost a couple of hours and if you're doing it on a weekly basis. I mean, I mean, you know, that becomes a, it might only be five hours a week, but that's, I mean, as you know, that's a precious five hours. Because you're newer to the, to the kind of the co-hosting chair, what kinds of things are you all thinking about in terms of what's next uh, for the show? Since, I mean, it, like you said, it's the, the format's been pretty, pretty set i know that recently you've you all did the most recent kind of set you you've all kind of picked a like a like a focus i would say as much as you focus as you picked a guest is that still kind of the yeah we got um i mean i think you've realized this too because I've, I've listened to some of yours and over the years and yeah after you've been doing it for a while the question of so what so tell us about your your high school drumline experience. It's just like, oh man, I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, where, so where did you go to undergrad? I don't know, dude. Just go read my bio. Like, yeah. 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 So we, we're trying to get away from that, just because I think I think we all got so tired of hearing it. And it's not that it's not important. It's just that we get we get exhausted of it, and I'm sure you do too. Of you know, it's like, so uh, tell us about your background. Well, at the age of seven, I banged on these pots. And it's just like, oh, no, like that's oh, it's so easy to fall asleep sometimes in those things. So we've kind of switched it to more topic based and trying to focus on like um, 
you know, maybe we're going to do, say, you know, the life of being a, a major orchestral percussionist. That's a very actually kind of seems like a, a boring topic just because that one's been covered so well by so many people. But all right, we're going to have Tim, Tim Jennis and Ted Eckhats. All right. Um, y'all, y'all come on and uh, let's just talk about it kind of. So a, l- a little looser. I think we're trying to get less of the individual and more of their, the individual's take on a certain, a certain thing. Um, and we're, we've also, I think, geez, we're, we're in like the episode three, we're approaching 350, I think, or something like that. Yeah, you're in, the, that's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. We're not running out of people, but PAS only has 5,000 ish members, if I'm right. So, I mean, we're, we are burning through them. Um, yeah. And to my medical knowledge, it takes about 18 years to create a, an adult percussionist. So, um, yeah, we got, we got to, we got to figure something out. So we've kind of switched to the topics and, yeah. Um, and we're trying to be a little more out and a little more open musically too. So, um, I think, I think I'm doing the first episode of this next section in, in September and I, I'm between two topics, but I think one is going to be a round table and, uh, basically the adjunct life. Mm, yep. uh, and grab a bunch of people that have uh, I have some in mind that are, you know, piecing together the gig, the adjunct gig, and you know how are they managing? And for those that are leaving college and are jumping into that, what do you need to know about you know making that happen? You know, financially, responsibly, and stuff like that. So, trying our best. You know, some of it's for the listeners, and some of it's for our own sanity. Yeah. yeah, you know, you you can only ask the same question so many times before you you know the answer um, right. before they even say it. Yeah, I, I think some of the fun is that the the curveball. Sometimes even those boring questions will throw a curveball, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> where'd that come? From? Didn't know that." Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I mean, I I do hear you on that. I think that's a uh, I, I I've thought about. I think at some point in the, in the midst of all this, I've always thought like, I'm definitely going to run out of people. And I'm like, no, no, I won't. (laughs) Because there's there's more people who are coming into the profession. I mean, I feel like we're, this is still an expanding field somehow. Oh yeah. And so, so I'm always, and like when people suggest other people, I'm like, I, you know, it's like, it's kind of, and you know, this too, where they'll suggest somebody and then that person's world will open up and you're like, Oh, Oh, look at all these people now. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we talked to Kaylee Brooke, uh, or Kaylee Brooke, uh, Webb now. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, she does a ton. She's playing with blue man group in uh, Seoul, Korea right now. And through her, um, I heard some other names. I was just like, Oh yeah, they, they would be great to, to have on. And yeah, it's funny. A little spider web, um, of meeting people. All right, Caleb, let's let's back up. Where did you grow up? Paris, Texas. Petri. Right. Um, yeah, it's a movie. I didn't of uh, that. Is. It's filmed in Greenville, Texas, actually. It's not filmed in Paris. Um, yeah, Paris, Texas. It is a it is a place. <laughs> what, a, a thing that wouldn't exists. recommend it. <laughs> Where in Texas is it? It is very northeast. It is uh, about 
40-ish minutes from Oklahoma. Mm. And it's a uh it's a it's a place. It's got an Eiffel Tower in it because it's Paris. Right. Uh, it's got a cowboy hat on the top of the Eiffel Tower. There's a statue of Jesus wearing cowboy boots. Um, historically yeah. accurate, obviously. Of course, yeah. Yeah, Jesus was a white cowboy. Um <laughs> yeah, if you're not a, a white Protestant, I would just stay away. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> It's like, it's not a very, it's not a, it's a big place, you know, it's well biggish, you know, it's 30,000, 35,000 people, but yeah, they got a lot of, they got a lot of issues when I was growing up. I, I mean, we used to see uh black Panther clan rallies in the downtown against each other. And it's a, yeah, it's a crazy place. Um, they were on CNN several times and a uh, weird place to grow up. Yeah. Why, why were you there? <laughs> why was I there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this that's just where my family lived. I guess my grandparents moved there. Both sides of my grandparents moved there in, I guess, uh, geez, I don't know, 60s or 70s or something like that. When it was a little smaller, my grandpa ran a boat repair shop and my grandma worked at the junior local junior college. And then my mom's side, he was with the city and the other one was a CPS worker. So, yeah. And then, yeah, my parents had me when... Uh, they were like, I think 16 and 17. So I was probably planned. That probably wasn't an accident. Um, <laughs> no, totally was. Uh, but yeah, they, they had me when they were in high school. So, you know, you know, as, as many people probably know, you know, if you have, if you have a kid in high school, it's very hard to relocate or start a new life somewhere because you are not financially uh, viable. But I mean, eventually, yeah. I mean, of course they divorced because that who saw that coming everybody uh but my dad my dad stayed around he he has a sign uh a sign making shop so like um things you you see like a home depot light up sign he'll make the channels letter and uh him and my stepmom and one other worker they install them and they'll light it up and put all the electronics and stuff in it um so he's doing that and it's going great he's uh uh i have a sister and we basically have a different dad from growing up because it's a, you know, 17, 18 year old dad versus, uh, you know, 50 year old dad with very different income levels is sure. yes, yeah, basically a different person. Um, and funny enough, my mom went on, she's, um, she got her RN and then worked her way up. She's now the international head of sales and training for a medical, uh, cardiology company that, uses this one specific device that they use in a uh, stint in uh, heart surgeries. Mm -hmm. So she goes around the world and deals with cells and training these medical professionals about how to use this device during heart surgery. Um, so it's crazy. Yeah. She went from, yeah, yeah. Never, never give up. She went from 16 year old high school mom to uh, she's now 49 and, um, making more money than I'll ever make teaching music. That's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, she loves it. She travels all over. Um, yeah, it's great. Proud of her. That's awesome. When did the percussion bug hit you? Just in, uh, just in high school. It's one of those things. It's kind of always think of it as like the, well, I got, well, I'll guess I will kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Whereas like some of my friends joined band in sixth grade. So I was like, well, I guess I'll join band in sixth grade. And I tried out percussion and I was good, good enough at it. Um, wasn't so good through middle school and 
parts of high school. But yeah, like junior year, you know, I was like, hey, this is cool. I want to do this. Then did that. Went to undergrad because it was commerce, 45 minutes away with Brian Zader. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew he was good. Uh, so I went there and uh, turned out he was better than I thought he was. Not that I thought he was not good, but sure. I didn't know he was as prolific as he was with teaching and playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, from there, I was just, uh, I went to a, a summer seminar in Vegas and met my future teacher that went and studied with Dean Grunemeyer and Tim Jones. Mm-hmm. Did a master's there, gigged a little bit for a year. Uh, came back to Texas and taught. And during those years, uh, Casey got the gig at JMU. And I met him that summer at the Ted Cats Percussion Festival. We had a lesson and kind of hit it off, hung out a little bit. And uh, yeah, then auditioned at JMU, got the, the GA spot. And uh, yeah, was there for three years, then taught for two and made it out to Missouri. So yeah. I went from the south to the west coast to the east coast. Now I'm in the Midwest. So mm-hmm. if I go up to like North Dakota or Canada next, I'll cover the whole map. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I hope I don't get a job in North Dakota. I'm going to decline. I don't want to oh. go there. It's too cold. <laughs> I mean, wait, when where you were in Texas, it's Texas, but you were in a small part of Texas, right? I mean, was it how Texasy was your band at that point? Pretty Texasy. Yeah. They're better now. Um, they were, they were still very good when I was there. Um, the band director, Randy Jones, the head guy is just a monster teacher. He always was, and mm-hmm. he, he still is. They were like the Stuart to a, not to a, sorry. Uh, the three, a second place, I think state champs or first place a couple of years ago for marching band. And, mm-hmm. uh, they won the team EA honors thing a year or two ago or something like that. So, um, it's a really good program. Uh, when I was there, it was a little smaller, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's really grown and and developed. And yeah, I mean, doing great stuff there. But yeah, it is. It's not as hardcore as like Marcus and Flower Mound and those places where it's basically drum corps. Right. Uh, we were definitely you know a dirtier high school drum line, but you know we still did drum line contests and mm-hmm. and things like that, and we always did pretty well. When you were there, was there anything that was aside from the band that was filling out your time, uh, student government or sports or video games? I don't know. Oh man, so many video games. Um, <laughs> yeah, video games for sure, still to this day. Besides that, yeah, no student government. Uh, played in played in a lot of bands, uh, mm. a punk band and a metal band. But yeah, yeah, besides that, it was a lot of band, a lot of drum sets. Mm. and uh yeah a lot of video games for sure <laughs> uh, i think those are the big three really yeah what were the what's been your sweet spot for video games oh man so i've been a playstation guy for most of my life mm-hmm. um i lucked out i was in the first round of people to get a ps5 so i had it I, I won like the lottery to sign up to buy one. Oh right yeah so i had like a ps5 on day one it released um, and it was cool because I didn't know they did this. They just showed up at the door. But the first day it released, it didn't just release. Like that's when it arrived at your place. Oh. So they sent it out. So it was like on your doorstep the day of. 
I remember teaching and I canceled some lessons that day because I was just, because I was thinking, I was just like, wait, people know that this thing's releasing today. I don't want a big cardboard box sitting on my doorstep with a PS5 in it. So I just stayed home and I waited because I was like, no way am I going to let somebody swipe this. So yeah, uh, it was good. PS5 has been a big one. My buddy Chris Nadeau and I play a lot on there. Um, uh, when you know when he's free, he has a kid now, so he has a little less time. But that uh, I have a Nintendo Switch that I use some. Uh, my girlfriend and I play Monster Hunter together. That's always fun. Uh, she's way good at it for some reason. She's just picked it up, and that's been her thing. Uh, yeah, in the summer, um, I've been a Mac person for. I mean, forever. Um, well, not forever for past decade. Uh, but my iMac was, it was just on its last legs. Like it was, it had to go, it had to be replaced. And it was only five years old. And I was just like, man, that's not, that's not cutting it. Like I can't, I can't buy a new, I mean, I can literally buy a new iMac every five years, but I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, I'm just going to go with a PC. And I was kind of worried about it. Uh, Cause I haven't had a PC in a long time, but within 48 hours, I was, it was like I'd been on it my whole life, but uh, yeah, basically I bought a gaming PC um, to handle video editing so I can render videos like so quick now it's mm. ridiculous, but it's great. It has like an Intel i7 and a 3060 graphics card and a bunch of Ram and storage. Um, and since uh, you know, since it's a gaming PC, I've been playing on that as well. Um, they have the Xbox PC Game Pass, um, and it came with a free month for me. So I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. And yeah, it's amazing. I just kept the, I signed up for it. It's like $9.99 a month. Mm. And it's like 400 PC or games that are formatted for PC. Yeah. And you can just download them and play. And I was just like, this is awesome. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been going between that and PlayStation a lot this summer when I'm not riding or, you know, visiting or flying somewhere. The gaming PCs, they have like a, a the the keyboard is different, right? It isn't like really, really reactive. You can get them like that. Um, that's what mine is. It's a mm-hmm. mechanical keyboard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's super loud. It sounds like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know if you heard that, but yeah, it sounds like... Oh, I didn't like, actually. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, it's probably the auto-suppress. Oh, sure. Um, it takes a second to get used to because it is really reactive, mm-hmm. um, but it feels kind of typewritery, like it's very clicky and mm-hmm. um, it's very satisfying to like type a sentence like with no stops because <laughs> it just sounds like... Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a very satisfying sound. Mm. Um if my girlfriend's ever here, I do have to close the door like at night if she's asleep because it does sound like somebody's just drumming on a table. It's, it's pretty loud. It's it's definitely yeah. It's it's an issue if you have people sleeping near you and you're trying to work. Mm. Um, well, aren't you wearing headphones though? I mean, does it like blunt some of the noise? I actually never I never wear headphones. Um, I have two Bose speakers that I've set up that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll wear headphones if I'm like mastering audio or anything like that. That's normally like the final step if I'm making a video. Yeah. You said you were punk band, metal band. So what was your, uh, what kind of groups or what, what music were you actually listening to at that, those early stages? 
Oh man, it's like the same thing I'm listening to now. Of course, yeah. It hasn't yeah, it hasn't changed that much. Um yeah. it's changed, but the the standbys have stayed. A lot of Taking Back Sunday, that was like my number one. They're not really a punk band, they're like a punk pop emo. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Taking Back Sunday was always good. My Chemical Romance was always good. Uh Blink 182 was okay. I liked them a lot in middle school, but I I kind of fell off of them. Yeah, metal band wise, uh, used to be a lot of Slipknot when I was in high school. Mm. Um, I listened to them recently, and I was like, "Ah, this I'm okay. It's not so great. <laughs> this kind of sucks." Um, yeah, my taste in metal back then was worse, uh, worse than I thought it was. Taste in emo and poppy music was pretty good, but uh. Yeah, it's evolved a lot. Yeah, my new favorite band is this band called Era, E-R-R-A. Okay. Um, they're like a gent, not progressive, but kind of a gent metal band where it's a lot of attack on guitars and a lot of rhythm. Yeah, really cool stuff. Gotcha. Were you ever into like the previous metal generation, like Megadeth or Slayer or... I was never into it. I I really tried to get into it. And I listened to it a lot. Yeah. Um, or Tool? Did you ever? Tool. I love Tool. Yeah. Um, Tool's great. Uh, Tool's fantastic. I think the the oldest metal band I was able to get into was Metallica for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, after a while, uh, I kind of just stopped listening to them. Um, I think it was like the not the simplicity of it, but like the kind of the straight aheadness of it. Like it has a lot of feel in that style, in that age of metal. Like it's a lot of like passion and like drive. Mm -hmm. But then when I started hearing like more rhythmically and melodically active stuff, I just kind of gravitated towards that. I just like, Oh, this is, I want to figure out how that goes, how that rhythm is versus when I was playing Metallica, but I was like playing along and, drum set in my room it was like all right boom 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 it was like wait this is the same groove from this blink 182 song just half time right um so yeah back then it was a lot of if the drum part's cool that means it's good music um now i've kind of learned like oh no metallica's good minus lars ulrich (laughs) a clip i've enjoyed is um one of the documentaries they're playing like some of the stuff from the early eighties and, and he's like, man, this is hard because he's yeah. older and it's like hard to play. You know, if you don't double base it up all the time, you, those skills like can diminish. It turns out they, Oh man, they do. I didn't play any double kick for, a, for like a year and a half. I was just doing other stuff. And then I started back this summer playing a bunch uh, with tambourine for some reason. And uh, I was like, man, my legs and coordination went away. Like it took about a it took about a week um, to to get it back to to playable. I, I played this tambourine double kick and tape piece at uh, American Percussion Seminar down at UNT in June. Um, yeah, and I started working it back up like two weeks before, and I was like, holy crap, am I going to be able to get this back up to playing condition? Because this is I got to build up some leg coordination again. <laughs> yeah. You go to commerce. At what, where were you kind of at as a percussionist at that point? 
And what kinds of things did Zader kind of figure out you needed? That was probably pretty just average mm-hmm. um, overall. Um, I was probably a better drum set player than not everyone for sure, but I was probably a better drum set player than you know than than half the half the folks. Um, and the the rest were better than me, of course. Uh, and I played a lot of marimba and I played a, a lot of marching snare drum and stuff. But uh, yeah, he just got me reading. That was a big one. Is just reading faster mm-hmm. uh, and then just general work ethic type stuff. That that was the big one. Um, just a lot what of you, that you. What do you mean? Like, like you needed work ethic? Yeah, or, yeah. Like that you I got from him. Organized or something? Yeah, just organized and you know, focusing on on you know doing stuff just better. Like my my first year and maybe some years after that, I would learn a lot of you know I'd play the piece and learn like mostly learn the notes. You know, mm-hmm. there'd be some things. And it's like, no man, you're playing a fourth instead of a fifth or no, that's an, that's an A, not a C in the bass. And, you know, th- just, you know, learn things too quick and learn it sloppy and, you know, get through it, but not really, not really get through it. You know, you, you didn't quite play the piece. You just, you kind of played around the piece. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Um. So, yeah, just getting me to be a little more detail focused and, you know, just better better at the craft basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a uh do you know aaron ragsdale yeah yeah well, man, uh, it's actually not too far away actually yeah, yeah. South Coast state he he uh when we were talking about it when i had him on a long time ago he referred to it as the gunslinger he was oh, a gunsl- yeah. gunslinger marimbist and i was not aware of that turn and and like it kind of sounds a little bit like that like it makes sense <laughs> sure and you'd be like yeah i mean yeah okay fine it's a c you're right it's not an a and yeah. that, that would be like the that's your version of it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. At that program, what were the other activities? Was was marching band really big there? That was bigish. Um, football team sucked. We were <laughs> we were so bad. There was one year they were good. So um, yeah, more often than not, our season ended you know in November. Um, which fine by me. I'll take mm-hmm. a. I'd I'd much rather be at a place where the football team's not so uh, making it to where we have to play in January or something right. like that. Um, uh, percussion ensemble was always the big thing for us. Uh, we took it real, real seriously. Um, uh, that and the the top wind ensemble was was a pretty big deal. They they played some pretty heavy literature and. Um, especially for a school that size. Uh, but yeah, the percussion ensemble and, and the wind ensemble were, you know, we put a lot of time in, you know, Zeta would program some, he still does, he programs some heavy literature for the percussion ensemble. Yeah. Um, and we, it always go pretty, you know, pretty well. Um, everybody really wanted it to be good. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he won the IPEC contest in 20, I think 10. And we went and did that. And, um yeah they kind of cemented and started the whole or sorry what was cemented before then but it kind of reestablished the the level of percussion ensemble for the group and since then every i mean everything they've done i've seen a couple of their concerts and it's always just slamming they just played the you know hard pieces really well 
and it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. How, so when you were there, how long had he been there? Uh, I don't know. I think, I think maybe he got there in maybe 2003 or four. I can't quite remember. I want to say, I want to say 2004. That might not be right though. Yeah. He, but he'd been there a while, you know, he had graduated out, you know, he had gotten all the old, um, Brian West people people. out and then all the new people were his people at least that much. So, um, yeah. When you were there, kind of where was the range of students of of your colleagues there from uh uh ability wise or no geographically oh geographically um yeah ability wise sounds like a sounds like a jerky thing for me to say <laughs> um no, of course like everywhere we're all over the map a lot of us were from that we had three no sorry there is four of us that were all from paris um mm. Paris, Texas. I was the only one from my high school and three guys from um, the other school in town. Uh, a lot from the DFW area um, and several people, funny enough, from the Houston area. Um, he had a lot of connections to, I think, his alumni, uh, alumnus school down there. A couple from like the Texarkana, uh, that that East Texas border. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mainly, mainly the Paris to DFW range and a lot of Houston and then a couple of people from like the Rio Grande, Laredo and Nuevo Laredo areas. Yeah. A lot of people from there or a couple of people from there. So a little bit from all over, he, he did a good job of pulling yeah. from all sorts of places and then grad students from, you know, wherever they were coming from Iowa to from Brazil and just kind of all over the place. Does, does. Commerce have a DMA or is it master's? Just a master's, yeah. Yeah, you go up through a master's of performance or ed. When you're there, you you because you end up going to UNLV mm-hmm. for master's. Yeah. Were you in a all right, I'm I need to get out situation? Uh, did it just uh, happen that you go to Las Vegas? Uh I just met the teachers there and we got along. And at the time I was I was playing a whole lot of jazz drum set. We had a, a quartet or sorry, a quintet. Uh, and we, we gave pretty much every weekend around, you know, Dallas or the local areas. Um, I was just playing so much drum set and stuff like that. Uh, and the times I was doing some jazz vibes on top of the, the classical thing. And I just figured, well, I want to, I want to do a master's, um, that seems like it would be a good place to do the thing and also be able to gig. Um, so I auditioned there. Um, and, uh, uh, John Lane, um, same Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, and out of the two, I just decided like, no, I, I want to be in a big city and, and gig and try that stuff. And I'm glad I did. Yeah. Definitely learned a lot from that environment. Are you talking about in just the gigging environment or, or from, in Las Vegas, uh, yeah, from Las Vegas and that that environment, like like what? I mean, I guess you'd learn the same thing in any big city, you know, New York or or Austin. If if you're gigging around pretty regularly, any of those places or Chicago, where you know you have to figure out the gig, find the gigs, you know, network, figure out how to get your schlep your gear through an interstate or down the strip. Mm-hmm. which is bumper to bumper. And then it's like, all right, how do I park and get from 
the parking garage, you know, a mile and a half through into the venue and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, there's a costume person there you have to work with. There's a makeup person. Like, what are you going to do? Like, do you need to bring this? It's just a lot of stuff. And yeah, just a good experience, you know, something that I hadn't done before that, you know, I can, you know, help me become who I am today. Because of parking? Yeah, because of parking. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, definitely easier gigs happen now, you know, when I just have to roll up and bring in the set, uh, bring in the drum set or roll in a bass drum or something like that. But um, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, you know, doing the gigging thing, it's, it was great, you know, um, during the Masters, since it's Las Vegas, you know, it's a 24 hour city. Mm-hmm. So there were, I mean, I mean, there were a few times where, you know, we teach the 8 a.m. methods class, you know, do percussion ensemble at noon, have studio, have a class at, you know, whatever, five or six, grab dinner, and then, you you know, you have your bar gig or something or a coffee shop gig at night. And then you have to be at like the Hakkasan nightclub at 11 p.m. to do like the 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, entertainment drum line thing. And then you just go home and pass out um, or you do it two nights in a row and you just power through. And um, yeah, I don't know. You just get like a different, a little bit of different view and appreciation of time and how to make things work. And it was good. It was I think I aged twice as fast, but I would. I would recommend it. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're not even getting into the scotch drinking that you probably had to do to just kind of get through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So much. Um, <laughs> at the time, it was vodka Red Bulls was actually oh, the. Um, yeah, the the club would give us a free drink at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And by that point, you've been wearing like a drum for a long time. And if you're just exhausted and they get, offer you a drink, but you want to relax at the same time. It's just like, dude, vodka Red Bull. I'll take I'll take a, a tall one of those because I want to loosen up. But I need to be like wired to drive home in, in an hour. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hadn't, I hadn't thought about the uh, the winding down portion <laughs> of, the, yeah. of that schedule. I mean, it's so because when you're there, is it ex- obviously knowing that. Las Vegas is the way it is. I mean, it's kind of, it's its own place really in terms of the 24 seven nature. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you're a student there, is it uh, encouraged that you, you try to partake in as much of that too? It's not, not encouraged. Like, sure. um, you know, there are people there that didn't, they were just there for school. Sure. Um, there's plenty of those, but um yeah, you know, it was always supportive. It was like, hey, go, yeah, go do your thing. You know, as long as you're, you know, at the end of the day, just remember, you know, it's extracurricular. So make sure your curricular is locked down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was great. I mean, our our teacher, Tim Jones, he, um, he would get calls all the time about gigs because, you know, if you come to town and, uh, or if always when we did, uh, not IGN, who's the, uh, MI, not MIT. I uh, think it, they make like computer stuff. IBM. Okay. Uh, IBM, the chip yeah. company. Uh-huh. They had a, uh, they had an event that was like their, um, I don't know, it was something where 
all the heads from the different places came to Vegas and they did like a, not a convention, but like a, a meetup and they did event things together and they talked strategy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted a New Orleans style, like marching band drum line to, to play for the opening. So they, you know, they'd call Tim cause Tim's well connected or so they'd call somebody and then that person would call Tim and he's like, Hey, um, can you, can you throw together a, you know, a six person little, you know, street style marching drum line for this thing. And yeah, you know, you do it, you, uh, rehearse once just to make sure you know what beat you're going to play. Uh, then you, you know, show up, put on your clothes, whatever they are and, uh, things like that, you know, or, I mean, there's a thousand singer songwriters or little bands and stuff like that, that we could play in and. Uh, it's a cool place because basically if if you're willing to to talk to people, you can basically work as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're not just going to walk onto the strip shows, but uh, if you want to just gig and, you know, play drum set or play whatever your instrument is around town, you can make a living. Um, you might not be wearing a Rolex, but um, you'll you'll do well. When you're a student there, where do you end up living? I live in a lot of. I have an apartment. Um, Are they in in Las Vegas or like in a somewhere just outside or something like that? In Las Vegas, um, I lived. I lived a little closer to campus, which is closer to the Strip. Mm -hmm. So I lived kind of on the edge of the kind of the wackiness of town. So every now and then there would you know something would happen that was a little a little suspect. Like I remember specifically one night, somebody who I assume was just high on something out of their mind was like at like 2 a.m. just started like slamming into this dumpster that was like in the parking lot and like screaming. I'm just like, God, I can't deal with this right now. Um, You know, little things like that every occasionally, but you know, nothing ever too bad. Um, But funny enough, yeah, Las Vegas sounds crazy, but once you get outside of the strip area, it's just like a normal city. <laughs> it's like a normal town. Um, you know, that, that kind of 10 square miles of the center of it is total insanity. But outside of that, it's kind of like a normal, you know, like an Arizona cause it's the desert. Yeah. It looks like a normal town. The only difference is there's everything's open 24 seven and you know, there's slot machines and the grocery stores and those whatever video poker at mm-hmm. a lot of the bars. But besides that, it's, I mean, it's pretty normal. There's schools, there's, there's, if you didn't live in, or if you didn't know you were in Vegas, uh, you, you might not notice at first until you go in and see some of those machines. Cause it's pretty normal uh, outside of the, the not normal. Mm-hmm. As student, as a student at UNLV, what kinds of things were similar, different, Obviously, okay, you're a master's student, so there's, that's one thing. But what was similar or different in terms of learning from Tim and Dean? Zader was, is like a very detailed person, not like micromanage, but a very like, let's work on, like he worked on our, especially the undergrads at least. I can't speak for the master's. He's like, all right, let's make sure your technique's great and you're thinking about all these things and let's, you know, really iron it out. And then uh, Tim and Dean were very conceptual. Mm. Um, that, that was the biggest thing. Um, 
yeah, they were very big picture ideas. And outside of that, it was like, make sure you're, are, are you getting a good sound and are your hands healthy? That was like the two things. Uh, and then always be thinking about what you're doing and be able to explain why you did the things you did. Um, and then Gary Cook was on on staff as well. Gary taught uh, all of our percussion pedagogy and literature and history classes, um, which were amazing. That was like the best. I, I took four, uh, three, four classes with him. And those were like the best four classes of anything I've ever taken in my life. Um, yeah, he was fantastic. He would uh, come in basically three times a semester mm-hmm. and we would have a uh, like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like three, four hour blocks. Mm. Yeah. Um, three times a semester. And it was like a super intense three days, but it was, and the reading was insane. He would give us, I mean, we would literally have dozens of articles and like a dozen books per semester. Yeah. Sometimes it felt like to like read the entire thing. Like I've never read so much for a class ever for mm-hmm. any anything and um but it was all good stuff and it was all super interesting and he's great at explaining it and breaking it down yeah. and he makes it not boring at all he like makes it super interesting and relatable and it was just terrific yeah it was yeah i can't say enough good things about uh about professor cook he's fantastic that just sounds like a basically a grad course in every other <laughs> discipline honestly like like that yeah, in terms right. of that intensity of reading and and like that focus uh, it sounds like what my wife does who teaches communication here like oh yeah does with when her I grad had... student it's like that much reading and that's just kind of the norm it's yeah when i had to read like a yeah now like when i was doing my dma and you know they'd give us like here's a 30 page theory uh analysis paper uh, make sure you read it by next week. I was like, ah, easy. I'm not, yeah, I'm not no big deal. Uh, four hours? Like, what? Oh, I have all week. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, no big deal. I'll knock this out tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? Is that all I got to yeah. do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he definitely, yeah. He made the rest of school a lot easier because his was, his was so intense. But mm-hmm. after that, yeah, it really felt like a downhill journey. Yeah. Did you have an assistantship? Yeah, at UNLV uh, uh, teaching um, history of rock and oh, basically doing percussion, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's basically anything that needed to be done. Me and uh, another guy, we were the percussion GA. So mm-hmm. organize moves, fix things, you know, make sure the place is running as it should be. Were you studying with one professor versus another, or was it split in terms of the, uh, the lessons? It was mainly Dean Grunemeyer. Uh-huh. Um, the first semester, it was Tim, um, because Dean was, at that time, he was Dean Dean. He was the dean of the, the college. Oh, hey. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Dean the Dean. Yeah. Uh, then after that, I studied with Dean for three semesters, and um, and, of course, Tim helped out as well. Um, but it was primarily with, with Dean after that point. You said that you stay there, right? Just did through you, my master's. Yeah. Oh, did you, I, I thought you, did you gig after that or, or do you go right into the DMA? I went back to Texas for a year and, and taught there. Ah, why did you go back? Uh, it was a, it was a down year that 
when I left UNLV is when Casey got the gig at JMU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew I wanted to audition, but at that point it was it was too late in the year. Um, you know, he he wouldn't have been able to offer me anything, mm-hmm. um, or I, I don't think I'd even be able to to get in because I'm sure the window had closed for the school. Sure. Um, so I just figured, you know, like yeah, it's I'll go back and I'll I'll teach for a year and you know save up some more money and you know get some get some more resume experience and stuff like that. So. You already you already figured out that you wanted to study with with um with Casey for your DMA. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to go there so I I just figured I'd it's like, well, okay, I'll audition. I'll just need a year to to wait it out basically. Or I guess a few months to wait it out till sure. you fly out and audition. Yeah. So what did, what did you end up doing in Texas? I taught as like a paraprofessional at Rockwall High School. Um, it's in which Rockwall, where? Texas. Where is it? Rockwall, Texas. Which is where? Oh, sorry. Um, just north of DF. It's like the very north part of the DFW area. Uh, I don't think it's even really considered part of DFW because you have to cross over this huge lake. And it's mm-hmm. right on the other side of the lake. Um but it's about uh, it's about forty five minutes from Commerce for anybody that's trying to keep a mental map. It's like let's see, it's Paris forty five minutes. You're at Commerce forty five minutes. You're at Rockwall another twenty. You're at Dallas. Uh-huh. So it's yeah, everything's a skip away. Yeah, where did you like that year? It was fine. Um, you know that that kind of gig comes with ups and downs. It's you know, you have a lot of flexibility. The, the pay was fine. It was mostly lessons and doing marching band and stuff, along with the main guy, Russell Lancaster. Um, you know, it's fine. It's You, you get money and uh, you don't have as much responsibility. Like the weight doesn't fall on you a lot of the time. Sure. Um, then you, have, you do have to deal with the crap I hate, like chasing down checks from parents and stuff like that and dealing with know no shows or schedules or this and that and it was it was just too much at the time i mean it was fine it i made it work and mm-hmm. uh, my schedule was nice and i got to write a bunch but uh, i don't think i'd want to go back to doing that exactly um also had a commute that was no fun so how long was it uh, i think it was 50 minutes mm-hmm. which is just yeah that, that's just to the point where it's like oh man this is you're losing basically two hours a day and, you know, you really think about that time and it, it adds up and I don't like to drive that much. Mm. I was like, it's, it is slightly more than the two and a half minute commute you have right now. Yeah. 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 Right now I can leave at eight fifty five and be there for a 9 a.m. class if I have to. Nice. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Haven't done it yet. Um, but yeah, I can if I have to. But it's an option is what you're saying. Yeah, there's an option there. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to Virginia, study with Casey, <laughs> what's the first item? Because you were you were in the West, you were in the yeah. South. What was your first like, oh, this is I'm in the East now. Yeah, it was the hills. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, right off of I eighty one. Yeah, because yeah, JMU is right smack dab in the middle of the Shenandoah Valley. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, I'd seen mountains, of course, you know, driving through Colorado and, you know, driving from Texas to Vegas and back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd never lived in a place that had like regular hills, you know, like you, like if we wanted to go from Harrisonburg, Virginia to say Richmond or Winchester, you know, you have to go over the mountain mm-hmm. and around. And that was always, that was really interesting because I'd, I'd just not been in a place that was that hilly. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, that was the first thing that stuck out to me by far was I can't see for 200 miles like I can in Texas or here in Missouri. Jeez, I can see to Kansas basically where you are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> flat yeah. as a board. <laughs> yeah. It is flat. <laughs> How'd you, had you dealt with snow yet? Uh, just, just, um, just a bit. Well, I mean, as you know, in Texas, we, we get snow, but really we get ice. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but we have a we have one of the best power grids in the world. It can in stand Texas, up right? to yeah, it can stand yeah. up to anything. It never fails. Right. Oh yeah, I know. Um, yeah. No, it's luckily when I was living in Texas, we never had a that bad of a situation with the power. But when I was growing up, there were two times where we got heavy ice and the power the power grid failed mm-hmm. and it went out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Texas gets ice and of course there's no infrastructure in place to handle snow. You know, there's no snow plows, there's no salt, there's, there's, uh-huh. there's nothing. So right. when, you know, when it snows or ices, it's people make fun of them about all oh, these Texans don't know how to drive in the snow. And it's like, well, that's true. But we also like, there's no preparation. You're basically driving on an ice rink. If you leave, yeah. Um, so yeah, the snow was a challenge, but uh, wasn't scary at all. Like mm-hmm. you know, they plowed it and they threw the salt down. I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Get a car wash every now and then, so it sure. doesn't rust. And yeah, yeah, it's good. We I mean, get um, more snow here than we did in Virginia. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, I believe that. There. With with Casey, first off, what were your were your responsibilities similar in terms of as a grad student? They're they're kind of split a little bit. Um, I was with the percussion area. I did methods classes, uh, two sections of that. I ran the steel band there for for many years um, until I wrapped up my uh, ABD stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I was a GA for the theory area as well. I did aural skills um, and a fundamental music theory class once. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got the gig here. That really helped having that um, college theory and aural skill teaching experience. They really like that. Yeah. And it's kind of similarly, what kinds of things when you're studying with Casey, you know, similar or different from your previous experiences as a student oh yeah the beatings were bad he used to just beat me all the time just rage i that's yeah, yeah. what i think when i think they, casey candles i just think rage yeah he would he would like punch me a lot and like make me move drugs across the border and stuff like that crazy um no it, it was fine casey's great um again yeah it, i mean he says it similarly it's just like um at that point you know we're not talking about oh well make sure you're your perch steven's perch is perchy enough whatever the hell that is um 
Yeah, it was nothing like that. It was just basically like a, you know, of course, musical advice and career coaching is kind of what it was mm-hmm. for, for the vast majority of it or, you know, feedback on stuff, things like that. Did you get uh, a sense when you were studying with him about his compositional I mean, you knew about it, but did you kind of see like how he makes that a part of his career? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it plenty. We still do pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talk about the business side and and, you know, comp stuff. And, you know, we both work with tape pieces a lot. So we've we've talked about that and, you know, recording stuff and cameras and sound. And yeah, you know, very, very friendly. We just uh, swap ideas and share interest and things like that. He also plays quite a bit of video games. He's an Xboxer though, so there's some contention there. <laughs> right, right. At JMU, what's the expected uh, capstone? Uh, you do a you do a dissertation um, and a lecture recital. I did mine over separate things. I did a lecture recital over the history of snare drum notation. Um, so I went back to like the uh, the 18, 1811, 1812, Ash, uh, Charles Ashworth, Ashworth uh, book. Um, I hope Gary Cook doesn't listen to this. He'll kill me for not remembering that date. Um, I'm going to say 1812 and hope I'm right. I think I think that's it. I might be wrong. Um, so I went from basically there to modern times and analyzed a bunch of, did a PowerPoint and uh, a lecture on the history of snare drum notation and played a bunch of examples and talked about how it worked from basically Revolutionary War up till now. And then my dissertation was the one that uh, took the longest for sure. Uh, mine was over an analysis or a survey and a analysis of percussion methods classes at the university level. Mm-hmm. So that was that was fun. Um, it was it was very good, but it was it was a lot more pain than I thought. Casey and I both thought it might turn out to be. Uh, basically, it was a huge survey of K through twelve teachers. Um, a collection of syllabi from universities and some case studies. And it was basically to find out the short version is, are we doing a good job preparing people for what they're actually doing in the job as middle school, high school music educators for instrumental music. Um, And yeah, learned a lot about stuff like, uh, are we uh, IRB? Oh my gosh. I was about to say IRB. That was my next question. Obviously, if you have to do all this, these uh, surveys. Oh, it was a nightmare. Um, (laughs) Yeah. If anyone's thinking about doing any sort of thing that involves a survey or human subjects at all, just think twice. I mean, you you should do it if it's a good idea, but just know what you're getting yourself into. Maybe just write that, that 50 page analysis of yellow after the rain. It might be good. Yeah. It might be, it might be a good time. Um, no, I actually, I'm really glad I did what I did. Cause I learned a whole lot about that process that I didn't know. And mm-hmm. I got a lot better at writing and I, uh, yeah. And I actually got a paper that I can, um, I'm working on turning into other things. So it's not just like a, a one and done one off thing that I just had to check a box. I can actually get some mileage out of it. Sure. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm glad I did that. Painful in the time, but uh, yeah. glad it's done. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course. 
Yeah. So the best dissertations are the, the ones that are finished. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Once those signatures hit the page. Um, yeah. Just tears of joy is what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, well, I was, what I was asking is, are we doing a good job or no? Uh, yeah. The final verdict was sort of, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, th- there were some things I, I, didn't go deep enough in detail on. I'm glad I didn't because it would have it would have turned into a whole other mm-hmm. level of project that would have taken years and years to finish. Um, and I just I wanted a job. Sure. <laughs> so, right, of course. I needed the paper. Um, so you know, most overall, uh, pretty pretty well. Um, it's just funny the things that aren't going well. Um, I think it's no surprise, but at the same time, the solutions to fix those things, uh, some of them are, there's no good way. Like uh, everyone's survey was like, I need to know more about, you know, how to play, how to teach drum set, how to incorporate drum set, mm-hmm. how to actually incorporate things like rudiments into like a, a band warm up or incorporate them into class general accessory percussion a little bit mm-hmm. um and then little things that they're like i don't know why we spent so long on marimba sure. um, and i i agree it's a big wooden piano you smack with balls of yarn um, i know that's kind of simplifying it but at the end of the day you know it's not that complicated um you know it's easier to teach somebody how to hit a marimba than it is how to get a good crash from crash symbols they're like that's way harder um you know, things like that. And then the biggest one, um, I talked about this a bit at NCPP this year, but it was um, uh, how to incorporate percussion within a, a heterogeneous classroom. So basically, uh, if you're teaching band, just straight up band where you have everyone together, yeah, it's easy to talk to winds because, you know, the brass are going to do this thing. Woodwinds, you got to deal with fingerings, but, you know, everyone's going to be working on a b flat all right we're gonna you know we're gonna play a b flat and an f yeah but yeah for percussion how to get them actually involved because you know you smack the note pretty good that's that's like 75 percent of the way there that's not bad yeah and then same thing with snare drum it's like how do you how do you turn percussion not just into the the sentient metronome and the people that touch the notes there's things like that um and some of the review of literature confirm that with uh, uh, talking about the illiteracy. I shouldn't say that. I should say the lack of literacy in uh, percussion students pretty much outside Texas uh, or outside of those heavy Texas programs and heavy U.S. programs. Right. Uh, the lack of literacy of percussionists coming in that um, can't read as well as their peers uh, pitch. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, lot of questions some solutions, but not a lot. Basically, it came down to the solution side was, um, say you'd have a one semester class. It yeah. was the, I mean, there's tons of things you can do, but the easiest one is to increase time. And and the easiest way to do that is examples like um, shifting anything that's evaluating playing, be it a playing test or a playing quiz. Basically, anything that would be used using class time to evaluate an individual 
it shift to an LMS like Canvas or anything like that, a video upload where they do it themselves. Yeah. Um, Because I I made a little chart at the thing. And it's just like, all right, if you do, you know, three playing tests, you have this many students, you know, something you're losing 15% of your actual instructional time during the semester. And that's, you know, that's this many days, you know, that's three, you know, whatever, four more days you could dedicate to, you know, two to drum set and two to marching percussion or something like that. But there's lots of little tricks. Um, My goal for this year is I'm trying to write a book. Um, It's outlined so far, but the the synopsis is basically, um, uh, I'm not calling it this for sure, but um, it's basically percussion methods for dummies. Like it's like the most streamlined. Here's the bare bones. Here's the essentials. Mm-hmm. I know there's already a book called Percussion Methods Essentials, but right. here's um the literal like here's snare drum. Bam, one page of what it is, one page of technique, two pages of of playing examples of notation and how to play them. You know, just keeping it as straight to the point, like a little reference. So we'll see how it goes. You know, it might pivot somewhere along the lines, but. Sure. It's a start. It's like, it sounds a little bit like, um, Court McLaren's book of percussion pedagogy has, it follows a similar kind of mm-hmm. line where it's like concept and then instrument, instrument, and then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think it's kind of, that's probably the book that it's closest to maybe that, or the John Beck has one called percussion methods. That's like really streamlined and it's like a little text and like six pages of example playing examples. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I'm just trying to make a, a more modern one that's, um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Still feeling it out. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to, yeah, I don't want to, uh, write something that's already been, that already exists. So sure. we're, we're never, I mean, the thing, the obvious problem is you're just never going to cover it, but you can't cover everything. No, no, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. And so, yeah, what, what do you leave out? And that's, it's always your starting point. Well, what am I not going to teach? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause we had to, and it's interesting at Mizzou. Um, I think um, Megan Orange is taking back over the percussion uh, tech. We call it percussion techniques here, but mm-hmm. um, I was overseeing that for a few years. And during that time, they basically, uh, and I don't know if this is the same thing at your school, but they basically were like, if it doesn't make, we can't offer. Oh, wow. Um, Cause they would have a second semester of percussion methods um, that, and they weren't as concerned about it making, but it would be focusing like primarily on world percussion, drum set, drum line was that yeah. one. And then the previous semester was everything else basically. Yeah. And they basically were like, we can't offer that second semester. So we now need to, so we, we try, we just made the first semester like a survey and just and we're like, here's two days of drumline. Here's now here's all the information you could go to, <laughs> but I have yeah. to move on. <laughs> like, yeah, we have a year here. Uh, funny yeah. enough, Jane, you did as well. I think they just shifted to one semester. Um, yeah, here we've managed to keep it. We have like a there's like a low brass, high brass, yeah. low wind, high wind, low right. string, high string, and now we have and we have percussion one, percussion two. Yeah. Um, are they we, both we did, required? Yep. Uh, we were able to keep it because we just basically re we just finished it and it's going into play next semester, but or sorry, next year. But we restructured our whole BME and uh, mm. BME program 
Yeah. And basically we found redundancies with the school of education that we were already doing over here. Um, So we were going to have to cut those methods classes, but we found enough redundancies that we were able to eliminate some other things. And we actually got it down to, I think it's 132 hours for the degree. That's pretty good. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Some things that help for us, though, with that is our ensembles count for activity credit. So students aren't charged and they don't get that credit hour on their transcript. Mm -hmm. Um, Which for some of those students that need that easy A, taking three credits of uh, or three different hours of ensembles, they don't get that. But uh, it is nice because, you know, we end up saving them, you know, a good dozen credits over you know, over their career. Right. No, that's good. That's yeah. It's like, it's so packed for that music ed degree. It's, it's insane. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Caleb finish up with random ask questions. Yeah. Final segment. Um, since we spent a lot of time talking about, um, kind of education here, I'm going to skip my, my normal first question, but I'm going to move to we're just going to be kind of into the next set of questions. First one is, has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Oh, for sure. Oh man. The JMU kids are so good at this. Yeah. There's this, uh, there's this kid, JMU. He's teaching, uh, I think he's teaching high school. Now he recently graduated. His name was Nick Berzamato. Mm-hmm. And he was an undergrad. He's about my height um he's got the same glasses about the same hair length just to cut a little differently and uh-huh. the same build yeah and he had some of the same clothes he just parted his hair a different way <laughs> um and one halloween the picture is somewhere on the internet one halloween he showed up at a concert and i came out and i i normally have at the time i had like a coffee mug that I'd carry around like from if i was teaching or coming from my office yeah. And he showed up and he had the same blue plaid shirt, the same sh- like color shoes, same <laughs> jeans, a coffee mug. He had changed the part in his hair and he was doing like the same mannerisms. I was just like, oh, man, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> it was perfect. It was it was spot on. Like he really nailed it. <laughs> and you're like, this is the handsomest handsomest man i've ever seen yeah it was yeah it was like looking in a mirror yeah yeah it's like looking at the face of god it was crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's fantastic all right uh what is your biggest kitchen mess up i cook a ton that's like a huge oh, hobby so awesome i haven't had any bad ones recently i guess last year i put a knife into my palm <laughs> so that, oh. was probably, that was probably the worst one um I didn't. End, I, I didn't have to stitch it up. If it was any deeper, I would have. Um, but I was using a. I have a really, really great sharp chef's knife, mm-hmm. um, which actually isn't dangerous. If anybody cooks, you know that. Like the the worst, most dangerous knife is a dull one. Yeah, and I've been right. using my super great knife that just slides through everything. Yeah, yeah. It was dirty, so I just flipped to an old one, and I wasn't used to it, and I had to put some more force, and I just stuck it right in and it bled all over the place. And Ugh. that was probably my worst kitchen mess up. Oh um, yeah. I really kicked myself for that one. It's you what you made me think of is, um, is like, I, 
that's the scare with onions is like how that like particularly if you you get like the first few and you're fine Mm -hmm. but then like if you get like halfway through i don't know some maybe maybe i need to sharpen our knives i think but i've had a couple times where i've seen that thing just like slide off and i'm like you know like dry (laughs) i do the gordon ramsay thing it's like you take a you take your pointer ring and middle finger and you make like a like a triangle and you oh. put the blade up against your middle knife or sorry you put the blade up against your middle finger mm-hmm. and you cut against it and oh, the right. and the middle finger acts as a barrier and you won't cut you won't cut your fingers it's pretty cool because okay. i have i have like clipped my like a tip of my nail off with that mm. sharp knife mm-hmm. but yeah i started doing the gordon thing and it works really well I'm, all right i'm i'm gonna yeah. noted noted yeah yeah it keeps your fingers safe like important it. for us yeah, it is it turns out something kind of on the obscure side but if you meet someone and they're like i like this whatever this is and you immediately go we're good What's oh that for yeah. you probably if they if they're into any of the Soulsborne games uh yeah. particularly bloodborne if they say they're they're into Bloodborne, the video game. I'm all about it. If they say Dark Souls 1 through 3, I'm still all about it. Sekiro is also good. Elden Ring's good, but it kind of that's one of the most popular selling games of all time as of last week. So that one's a little little more open. But yeah, if they're into Bloodborne, I'm I'm they're they're okay with me. I started speedrunning it during COVID um just for fun and um, I got it down to about four hours, which isn't fast. Like the record's like seven minutes. So I'm I'm working on it. But the first time I played through it took me like sixty hours. So I'm mm. down to four now. So maybe the maybe next summer I'll get it down to like an hour. We'll see. Nice. Goals. <laughs> These are good goals. Yeah. Um what is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? Okay, great movie. Um that I saw recently. Uh, I'd probably say La Casa Lobo. It's like so La Casa Lobo. I saw it a few months ago. It's a stop motion movie that took about, I think, six years, five or six years to make. Mm-hmm. A Chilean uh, film uh, videographer and stop motion artist. Uh, it's extremely disturbing. It's crazy. It, it, it blends basically every physical art medium um, from clay to oils to pastels and mm-hmm. things just morph one to another and it's about this uh it's like a true story it's about a a woman who escapes a camp in chile that the camp is a basically it's nazis that relocated from germany and started a new place oh. and she leaves there and then she has to she gets caught and has to go back and uh she meets two pigs that she starts seeing as children so the the pigs slowly start to morph from pigs to children. And then over time she runs out of food and then she realizes the pigs are also running out of food. And so it's like, who's going to eat who first situation. And it's really bizarre. And it's, uh, she speaks Spanish. The the villain who's kind of narrated speaks German. And over time they start switching back and forth. And by the end, they're speaking both languages at the same time. So they're speaking Chilean German interlocking and it's it's insane. Wow. Uh it's terrifying. It's great. Yeah. Terrible movie. I would definitely have to say the newest Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. It is wow. a it is a piece of garbage. <laughs> they they destroyed it. 
uh, uh, Leatherface walks onto a bus full of influencers and they all pull out their phones. And this guy's like, if you try anything, you're going to get canceled, bro. And then he just slaughters them with the chainsaw. Uh. At that point, I was just like, this is this is stupid. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> At the end, instead of being rescued, like in the original movie where she gets in the back of the truck and they drive off and she gets away. Yeah. Uh, girl, sorry, spoiler alert for movie. Oh, yeah. Sorry. If you didn't see the 1978 old. film <laughs> in, in the new one. Yeah. They get away, but one girl gets killed at the end. But uh, she gets away in a self-driving Tesla. Oh, looking through wow. the sunroof, and it's just—it's just so campy, and they just really botched it. Mm. Yeah, All right. Good to know. Good to know. I, I like these are good good examples. Definitely uh, would watch it though. It's so bad you have to watch it. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean I'm intrigued. That's the thing. Like like that's actually I was those were good descriptions. There is one very good scene in it though, where uh, the lady from the first movie that survives comes back and like tries to shoot Leatherface, and he's like, "Do you remember me?" And he like stands up and just walks away, and it's just like he does it. He's just like, "Dude, you're just some victim. I don't know who you are. I've killed right. so many people. You mean yeah, yeah. to me?" Right. And then it's like a that's the cool moment, but uh, <laughs> everything else sucks. Trash. Okay. Yeah, it's bad. All right. Nice. <laughs> All right. What is a favorite book? Oh, favorite book. That's a good one. Uh, there's a great book called, I, I'll give, yeah, I guess I'll give two. One's Performing in the Zone, the John Gorey book. It's about performance anxiety. He calls it performance uh, arousal and managing uh, mm. stress and um, performance anxiety. It's like how to channel and not erase performance anxiety, but like, harness the energy in a way that's positive and like control it to an appropriate level. Like you don't want to go into a performance with zero energy. Like you need to just keep the, the beast tamed and reined in. Uh, that's a good one. Um, I do like HP Lovecraft's works. Uh, you, you kind of have to overlook him as a person. Um, He's kind there's of a, a, there's a lot of those. It turns out, yeah, it turns out. Overlooked him as a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His uh, his writing style though, um, it's a little. I've I grown I've grown a little tired of it, but um, yeah, the way he he can write a slow burn story is really impressive. He really holds back to like the last five percent where he mm. reveals something, um, very racist. But um, uh, I don't want to put a butt to that, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, his work has inspired. I mean, geez, every every genre of horror from, you know, 1920s till now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But yeah, his writing style is is pretty insane. Mm. Yeah. Besides that, I haven't read a book in a while. Shame. Mm. To Not since all those articles from uh, Gary Cook. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I lost my ability to read for joy <laughs> after that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Uh, Japan's the big one. Yeah, I'd really. Uh, my girlfriend's half Japanese, so we're we're trying to find a way to get over there. And schedules make it impossible. So mm-hmm. hopefully, I can turn it into a performance thing. I've, I've talked to a friend about maybe hooking some stuff up that would you know make it a little more financially viable, you know, than just a trip to Japan for a few weeks, but, mm-hmm. you know, have some stops along the way to, you know, 
turn it to half business, half pleasure, but yeah. would love to go to Japan. Still haven't been to any part of Asia. Mm. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. When, when you go, I, I, this might be weird to, to trace back all the way to Paris, Texas, but when you go back to Texas, is there food that you're like immediately taco? Just, just, it doesn't tacos. matter where, just like, doesn't matter where tacos, just I go to the, Go find any street taco place, mm-hmm. any authentic Mexican taco place, um, any chain fuzzies or rusties, any chain taco place like that that's down there, the California street style. Mm-hmm. Tacos. Got to get a taco fix. Um, normally, if I go back, if I'm in Denton for uh, uh, four days, I'll, I'll make sure I get tacos at least twice. Mm. Yeah. Are you breakfast taco as well? They're okay, but yeah. I I really like the like get some carnitas or mm-hmm. or any of those really good street style. Yeah. You know, some grilled beef or chicken or shrimp. It's good. If y'all didn't know, yeah, uh Missouri is not known for its uh Mexican cuisine. It is not. It, there is some places that there are is some. Have good stuff, but yes. There's a place here that's okay. Yeah. I went the other day and it's not so bad. Yeah. It's like it you get your fill kind of like, all right, I'm yeah. I'm it's all not right. a 10 out of 10, but this will get yes. the job done. Gets the job done. Exactly. Yeah. Strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you. Yeah. Uh, several years ago, I played raise the roof, the timpani concerto. Mm. Darty, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Darty at JMU. Um, the performance was great, but we had to restart within the first like 30 seconds um because my third uh my 23 inch drum wasn't pedal locked so Hmm. i went to i went to pedal where there's there's this like hymn at the beginning that you pedal on the temps yeah uh and i went to pedal it i put my foot on the pedal and pushed down and it just kept going um it rolled off uh, oh okay i I mean it probably moved guy yeah yeah the drum rolled probably um I mean, probably a foot, uh, a foot or so. And I, at that point, you know, I tried to pull it back. Yeah. But by then, you know, the hymns and so there's so much mixed meter with it. I just looked at the conductor. And I was like, nope. So, <laughs> so we uh, we stopped. I locked the wheels. We restarted. Uh, yeah. Everybody loved it. I yeah. made a joke before we started again and mm-hmm. everybody laughed and it was fun. Yeah. Brush it off and you keep going. Yeah, nobody you're, cares. You're just like you like your hand, just like I can't, can't read. Yeah, yeah. It's like, whoops. Well, <laughs> can I make this work for the next seven and a half minutes? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, if this happened in the last minute. We'd go with it, but of course, not anymore. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, so, Caleb, last question: What one piece of art? Could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, video games, anything has impacted you the most recently. Yeah, geez, that's a good question. Recently, the Casa Lobo film really stuck with me. But besides that, just to give a different answer, I guess, yeah, geez, anytime I feel like I start like a story game or like a game that has like a very good mature narrative or like a Something, something that's deeper that mm. always sticks with me because you know, um, I, I mean, I love I love watching movies and stuff, but in that one you're very much a a passenger in the vehicle, whereas 
you know, if you're playing a, like a game that's got a challenge to it and there's also like a story that you're really engaged in, you're kind of in the driver's seat a little more. So it kind of kind of hits you a little harder if something um, happens. Um, I finished Elden Ring um, like a few months ago. That's like the new big thing that's, that's out. And uh, man, I just loved it so much. It was great. It was one of those things that you finish and it's like, oh, that was awesome. Just everything about it, the challenge, the, um, yeah, just everything. Yeah, especially the challenge. That was ended up being a little bit harder uh, than anticipated. And I've played all those games a lot. But uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, it seems like a lot of my a lot of my pieces have a little bit of that kind of Lovecraftian bit of horror, bloodborne Dark Souls vibe to them often. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot in there. My my big piece for Marimba and Percussion Ensemble Berserker. Um, the main theme is actually uh, the antecedent part of the phrase is taken from a little bit of a bloodborne tune from one of the boss fights like the little opening little mo- uh, three-note motif. So, yeah, things like that. Um, you know, they really stick with you. And, you know, you hear that same boss tune 70 times because you're trying to beat something and it's right. giving you grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sticks with you. And, yeah, it kind of expands you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right, Caleb, we are done. Cool. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. me. Yeah, happy, happy to do it. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I like the random questions. Yeah, those are thinkers. Those are the hardest ones. Yeah, what's a piece of art I've consumed? Oh, geez. I have a, yeah, I don't know. What has a has been going on? Such a blast getting to chat with Caleb for this interview. I wish him the best in his professional and personal journey as it continues, and look forward to catching him and the rest of the At Percussion crew when they return in the fall. This week's rave is the 2022 feature film Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, starring Leslie Manville, Lucas Bravo, Alba Baptista, Ellen Thomas, and Isabelle Hubert, and written and directed by Anthony Fabian. You know, sometimes... What you need is a movie that is, to be honest, a complete delight. Just a total delight. And this is one of those films. Leslie Manville stars as the aforementioned Mrs. Harris, a widowed woman in 1950s London who works as a cleaning lady for a wealthy family and ends up falling in love with a Christian Dior dress. She falls so far in love with this dress that... Supported by her best friend, Vi, played by Ellen Thomas, she decides she's going to take all of her hard-earned money, travel to Paris, and buy a Christian Dior dress of her very own from their haute couture headquarters. And hijinks ensue. While this is going on, she gets into frequent battles with the woman running the Christian Dior enterprise, played by Hubert and befriends both the accountant for Dior, played by Bravo, and the most famous model for them at the time, played by Baptista. This is clearly a fictional film, but there's elements of the plot, particularly as it relates to the Christian Dior brand, that seemed historical-ish. I don't know. Whatever. 
Again, delight. It's a delight. That's what you need to know. Leslie Manville is an actress that has played in lots of British TV shows and a number of films over the years, though she's likely best known now for playing Princess Margaret in the Netflix series The Crown, along with her Oscar-nominated role as Cyril in the 2017 film Phantom Thread, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. That role is known to me as the best part of that movie. It's even better than that heroic actor Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, he was also good in that too, sure. It's rare that she gets to play the lead, and she's both incredibly winning as Mrs. Harris, as well as playing the role understated and direct. And everyone else is great. Thomas is wonderful as Manville's best friend. Hubert plays the stern, tough role of the manager well. And both Bravo and Baptista are great as two souls attempting to find each other in jobs they would rather not be doing. For more, just go watch the film. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is pleasant and joyful and a lovely time, and for the most part right now, is still in theaters. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.